Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, author, and property investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And by a special request in this episode, I'm going to deal with some more of the questions that you've been sending in and hopefully give you some answers which will help. But before we start, the usual plea. A lot of you have emailed in or messaged me or come up to me at events and told me how much you love listening to this podcast. But I'm still a bit short on reviews. So if you don't mind, when you finish listening to this episode, obviously not now because you want to listen to the episode, but when you finish, if you could go back to wherever you get your podcast from and leave a review, that would be brilliant. Thank you very much. So let's crack on. Let's not delay. Let's get on with some of these burning questions that you sent in. And the first one comes from Derek and it says, should I always have a survey? Or can I rely on a mortgage valuation? What a great question. And it's one which I'm often asked, actually. It's not the first time I've had that question. So let's just think about this. He's saying, should he always have a survey or can he rely on the mortgage valuation? Well, let's think about what a mortgage valuation is. Because a mortgage valuation is not a survey. It is a valuation. So the whole purpose of the valuer being at the property is purely to provide a figure for the bank so that they can use that to assess whether they want to lend on the property. Now, you would think that as part of that, the valuer would be looking to see what state and condition the property is in, and to an extent they are. But the inspection is not a survey, so they're not going to go into the kind of detail which you would go into if you had a structural survey. We'll think about different types of surveys in a moment, by the way. It's just an inspection purely for the valuation. Now, if you're not involved in property or if this is you're new if you're new to property, this might all sound very confusing. And I agree it is, because you'd think, well, how can the two be separate? They they can't, can they? And yeah, in a in a way they can't. The condition of the property is bound to have an effect on the value. But regardless of that, the inspection which is undertaken at the point of evaluation is not as in-depth or detailed. And you'll even find that sometimes the bank may even instruct the valuer to do a desktop valuation or a drive-by valuation where they don't even go into the property. So how confusing is that? The long and the short of it is this, so for our purposes, we cannot rely upon the inspection as being the be-all and end-all when it comes to telling us what condition the property is in and whether there's any repairs which need undertaking. Now, there's another thing that we need to think about as well, which is this. When the valuer is undertaking the valuation. They're undertaking the valuation for the lender and their responsibility and their liability is purely to the lender. So what does that mean? Well, it means that although the bank will usually give you a copy of the valuation report, if the valuer misses something and so you end up buying the property and then you find that there's a problem which isn't flagged up on the valuation report, you cannot sue the valuer. There's no recompense between you and the valuer, for them having made a mistake, only between them and the bank. The bank can take action against the valuer, but you cannot. So really, although the mortgage valuation can be a good guide, you don't really know what you're getting. And if you don't get uh, you know, a, a proper thorough job and there is a problem, then there's nothing that you can do about it either. So in a sense, it's all a little bit risky. 
So the question is, should I always have a survey or rely on the mortgage valuation? So I think you can see where I'm going with this. As a responsible member of the profession, I've got to say, yes, of course you've got to have a survey. You've got to have your own survey. And no, you can't rely on the mortgage valuation. But having said that, probably 95% of the time, in reality, you probably could rely on the mortgage valuation. But I can't possibly say that. In fact, put your fingers in your ears because I can't. <laughs> no, I'm being silly. But you know what I mean? Because, look, this is the reality, isn't it? I don't know how much experience or knowledge you already have. If you're already in the profession, of course, if you're a surveyor, then, of course, you can do your own your own surveys, your own valuations. If you're a builder with a lot of experience, if you're in the trades with a lot of experience, maybe you can do your own survey. Maybe you've got enough knowledge where you could just rely on the mortgage valuation or even your own inspection. But you see, there's so many different variables. How can I possibly say? I've got to say the default setting has got to be you have your own survey. I don't know what experience you've got. I don't know what type of property you're thinking of buying. I don't know whether it's a modern brand new property, in which case by the law of probability there should be less defects. We'll come back to that in a moment though. Or whether you're buying an old property, where by the law of probability there's going to be more defects. I don't know how old the property is. I don't know what the construction is. Different types of property will have different problems, and some are more prone to problems than others. And I don't know how well the property has been maintained by the current owners, which is going to be a factor in all of this as well. So there is no one general answer that fits all of this, which is why the default setting is always going to be from me and from others in the profession. It's got to be always get your own survey. Now, as I say, it's frustrating because probably 95% of the time a mortgage valuation would be enough. And by the way, before you start thinking that this is some kind of a rule and I've researched this, that's a totally arbitrary figure, by the way. But I'm just guessing that most of the time it's OK and I've just stuck a figure on it, 95%. It might be 90, it might be 99.5. I don't know. But most of the time it probably would be OK. But if I say, look, you'll probably be OK with a mortgage valuation and then you rely on it, this is going to be the time when there's going to be a problem that the valuer misses. And then what? And then you're stuffed. And it's all my fault. So we don't want that, do we? And just imagine if this is your first property. What then? So default setting, always get your own survey. But the good news is that there are various levels of surveys. There's not just one type of survey. And they all come with varying levels of cost as well. So who better to ask than the RICS, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, as to what surveys are available? So you can Google this. If you Google different types of surveys in the UK, you'll be able to get this information. Let me give you a very quick run through now. So the very first most basic type of survey which you can get from the, uh, the RICS, and I'm saying from the RICS, I mean from an RICS qualified surveyor. There'll be surveyors in every town. A lot, a lot of the time, surveyors actually work for firms of estate agents. So if you want to find a surveyor, go and ask your local firms of estate agents and they'll probably have one in-house or they'll be able to recommend one. But if it's an RICS surveyor, which almost certainly they will be anyway, these are the surveys which they will be able to help you with. So at the bottom level is what they call a home condition report. Now, this report describes the condition of the property and it identifies any risks and potential legal issues and it highlights any urgent defects. In other words, it's going to tell you about the big stuff. And it uses simple traffic light ratings to clearly identify the condition of the key elements of the property. 
So it literally does that. It, like it'll have sort of like the roof. If the roof's okay, it's got it's, it's got a little green mark. Uh, if there's uh, you know the plumbing looks a bit dodgy, then it'll probably have a red mark. It's as simple as that. And because it's quite basic, this is the lowest priced of the surveys. And it's aimed mainly, the RICS tell us, at conventional properties and newer homes. Now, I understand that because, again, common sense would suggest that if it's a conventional property, usual standard brick and tile construction, probably going to have a fair idea of what the defects are going to be. Whereas if it was a strange construction, one of the, you know, sort of metal frame with concrete infill panels, where all sorts of crazy stuff can happen, then it might have be more a more prone to defects, but the defects may be harder to spot anyway. Now, it's interesting that they mention that it's also the type of survey you'd want for a new property. And again, it's probably the case that a new property is less likely to have defects. Well, is that true? Probably 10 years ago, we'd all have nodded and said, yeah, we agree with that. But you read all these horror stories nowadays about how the standard of finish in modern properties is poor to appalling, depending upon which newspaper you're reading at the time. But the reality is that if you're buying a new property and it's less than 10 years old and it's got an NHBC guarantee on it, then at least there's some comeback in theory. So you've got a certain amount of protection. So maybe in those conditions, you know, this is the report that you would actually want to have. So that's the very basic bottom level one. Just an aside on that, actually, before we move on, a lot of this, of course, is going to depend on your strategy as well. Because if you're buying a property for a BRR, a buy, refurbish, refinance, then probably you're not going to want this type of survey because this survey, the RICS suggests, is for properties which look pretty well okay. Whereas we're not really after properties which look okay if we're doing BRR. We want properties which look as if they need a bit of work doing to them. So maybe that wouldn't be the right type of survey. So let's have a think about the next type of survey which they suggest we can have, which is a home buyer's report. And the RICS say that this is most suitable for conventional properties which are in reasonable condition. The report gives you more detailed information and provides the choice of either a survey or a survey and evaluation. So let's have a think about those two subsets of a home buyer's report. So a home buyer report, which is just purely a survey. Well, this includes all the features of the condition report, which I mentioned earlier, but it also includes advice on defects that may affect the property with advice on repairs and ongoing maintenance advice. Sounds good, doesn't it? The second type of home buyer's report is the survey and valuation. And the RICS tell us that this includes all of the features of the RICS condition report, which I mentioned earlier, plus a market valuation and an insurance rebuild figure. It also includes advice on defects which may affect the value of the property, with advice on repairs and ongoing maintenance advice again. So it's a little bit more in-depth than the most basic report, and you have the choice of having a valuation figure and an insurance figure as well, which could well be useful. But, and here's the thing, this is quite a big but, and as I'm a surveyor, I'm not even allowed, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it. But it says that this is the most suitable for conventional properties which are in reasonable condition. But of course, the whole purpose of having the survey is to find out what the condition of the property is. It's kind of a cart before the horse, isn't it, really? Because how do you know if it's in reasonable condition or not? And just because it looks in reasonable condition to us doesn't necessarily mean it is if there's something lurking, which is what we're expecting the surveyor to find. So there we go. But I can see what they're saying. They're saying that it's 
probably on the scale of things, if you've got a new property or a property which looks to your eyes completely perfect, then you probably get away with having a home condition report. But if you think there's going to be a bit more to be found there, you may be able to, you should probably be thinking about getting a home buyer's report. And the benefits of a home buyer's report is you can have one which just looks at the condition of the property, full stop, or you can have one which also adds a valuation figure and an insurance figure. And it will also give you some idea of the repairs that are needed and ongoing maintenance advice. Now, as a general comment, and I'm not being unkind to surveyors, but I'm only saying this because I was one, when it comes to asking a surveyor for costs of repairs, I would be very careful about adopting what they say as if that's the God-given truth. I'm not being unkind to surveyors, and any surveyors listening to this, if you think I am being unkind, put a post on the Progressive Property Facebook group and tag me in, and we can have an interesting chat about this. But in my experience, surveyors are trained to be cautious. And so any figure which they put on is going to be quite a conservative figure in the sense that they're not going to undercook it, they're going to overcook it to protect you and to protect them. So if you take a figure on a survey for the cost of a repair as being the true figure, then I think that you may be a little bit disappointed, which is why you always need to check it against quotes from builders who are out there doing it day in, day out, because they'll have a much better idea of what the cost is actually going to be. But it could be a good guide. It all depends. A lot of this is going to depend upon how much experience you have with the surveyor and how much you trust them because you've experienced their surveys before. And so you know that they're basically on the ball and quite accurate. So anyway, that's the second type of survey. Let's have a look at number three, which is an RICS building survey. In the old days, we would have called this a structural survey or a full survey. The RICS say this is essential for larger or older properties or if you're planning major works. The most comprehensive report provides you with an in-depth analysis of the property's condition and includes advice on defects, repairs and maintenance options. So this is the biggie. This is where the surveyor is going to be there for hours and hours. They're going to take all the kit. They're going to have a ladder. They're going to go into the loft space. They're going to try and look at as much as they can, open up all the cupboards and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you're thinking about buying a property and you think there might be a lot of work that needs doing to it, and if you've identified a particular problem, maybe, for example, there's this massive great crack running down the back wall and you're not quite sure why it's there, make sure that you flag up any specific questions like that with the surveyor before the survey and tell them at the point when you instruct them to do the survey that you want them to have a particular look and make a particular comment on that. Otherwise, you know, you, you might just get the usual blah, blah, blah stuff. And what you want is specific, pertinent advice on that. Flag it up early, though. Now, the problem with a structural survey is, and I know this because I've done dozens of these, is that if the surveyor sees something which they're not too sure about, or if they see something which potentially could be very, very expensive if they get the decision wrong, they may send it upstairs anyway for another, you know, a bit like rugby, go to the TMO. The TMO, and by the way, if you're not into sport, apologies for this analogy, but the TMO in a property sense is usually a structural engineer. So it may be that you ask the surveyor, can you have a look at the big crack on the back wall? And the surveyor may come back and say, well, look, I think there's settlement, which is because the foundation's gone or tree root problem or there's a drain problem nearby. But... I can't give a definitive answer, so what I suggest you do is that you get a structural engineer to come and have a look. Structural engineer, that is their 
sole role. They won't look at, you know, see if there's dry rot or woodworm or anything else. They will be looking purely at that particular defect. It costs you quite a lot of money to get a structural engineer out, by the way. But they will then give you a definitive answer. But that tends to be the default. If the surveyor's not sure, they're probably going to send it off to a structural engineer, or at least suggest that you send out for the services of a structural engineer is maybe a better way of putting it. So you're not necessarily even going to get the full picture with a full survey. That's the thing. That's the warning here. And the other thing, of course, is that although the surveyor is going to dig deeper for a full survey than they will do for a home buyer's report, and deeper than they will do for a home condition report, and certainly a lot deeper than they would for a mortgage valuation, the reality is, though, that they're not going to go in and they're not going to move all the furniture out of the way. They're not going to pull up all the carpets, especially if they're fitted carpets. And so the report's going to be full of disclaimers and caveats saying, well, we haven't moved the furniture, we haven't moved the carpets, we can't possibly say what's happening underneath. And it might be what's happening underneath that you need to know about, but you're not going to get to know about it. So there we are. Derek is a great question, but the simple answer is yes, always get your own survey and no, don't rely on the mortgage valuation. So moving on. Now, here's a question which is sort of related to this and is all part and parcel of this subject. So I thought it'd be great to deal with these together is, well, can I do my own survey? So let me give the very quick answer to this. The answer to that is, can you do your own survey? Well, no, you cannot. Unless, of course, you're a qualified surveyor or unless you're an architect, maybe, or unless you're a builder with, you know, 20 years experience, or you're in the trades with 20 years experience, unless you feel that you are qualified to do it, then please do not do your own survey. Please do not. Which leads us on to a related question, which I sometimes get, which is, hi, Peter, what should I look out for when I'm viewing a property? Now, that is a great question. What should we be looking out for when we're viewing a property? Well, obviously, it depends on your strategy to, to a certain extent, doesn't it? What, what are you looking for? I mean, if you're going to rent the property out, you need to be looking to make sure that it's rentable. If you're going to turn it into a HMO, you need to make sure that the accommodation lends itself to being turned into a HMO. You need to make sure that the location's right for the particular use that you want to put the property to. You want to make sure that, you know, it's the type of property which you think the bank's going to lend on. All that kind of stuff. I'm taking it as read that we all realise that that's one of the reasons why we're inspecting the property. But whilst we're there, there are other things that we could be thinking about as well. Now, again, I don't know how experienced you are or what knowledge you have. I don't know how old the property is that you're looking at. I don't know what the construction is of the property you're looking at. And I don't know how well it's been looked after by its current owners. So I want to put all those disclaimers in to start with, because all of that is going to affect my answer, which is why I can only talk in general terms. But here's what I think. When you do a viewing of a property, and hopefully, you know, particularly if you're doing buy-to-lets or HMOs, whatever, you're out doing lots and lots of viewings. When you do a viewing, don't think of it as a viewing. Instead, think of it more as being an inspection. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting you do your own survey. I've just answered that question. Can I do my own survey? No, you cannot, unless you're already a surveyor, an architect, or a very experienced builder. But if you think of it this way, when most people do a viewing, particularly when you're thinking of owner-occupiers doing a viewing, what are the owner-occupiers looking for 
when they go and view a property. Well, they're going to go and see how big the lounge is. They're going to be thinking about whether the curtains will fit and they're going to be seeing whether they like that particular shade of pink in the bathroom because that's kind of what they're geared up for thinking about. But then, by the way, I'm not being unkind or disparaging. That's just how it is. They're not property professionals. They're not looking for the kind of stuff that we're looking for. We can be thinking about things a little more deeply. So we can be looking out for signs of problems. We could be looking out for things such as possible damp patches. And they may be evidenced by peeling wallpaper, for example, or stained plaster, stained ceilings. Or they may just be a nasty damp smell, which you can smell when you walk in through the front door. Or we could be looking for things like cracks in walls both inside and outside. Often cracks aren't necessarily a big problem, but if a crack inside is matched by a crack outside, it probably or possibly is a big problem. We can be looking for things like, I don't know, rusty gutters and downpipes. We can be looking for slip tiles on the, on the roof. We can be looking for all sorts of bits and pieces. With a little bit of common sense, you'll be surprised about how much you can actually see. But, and I'm getting excited here, so I've got to shout this but, but if you're not experienced or if you're not qualified, let's also assume that there's going to be stuff which you won't see, but it's there anyway. So going back to the last question, if you do your own inspection or if you do your viewings as an inspection, and even if you see some stuff and you think you've seen it, please still get a survey because there may be stuff you haven't seen which is there which might cause you all sorts of problems if you don't know about it. Also, when you're doing your viewing as an inspection, which is what I think you should do, don't make a fuss about all of this in front of the vendor. If the vendor is there showing you around the property, make notes. In the old days, that would have been on a small notepad, you know, with a pencil. By the way, pencils are good because you can write with pencils when it's raining. So if you're outside making notes, you can still write. Whereas with a pen, your ink just goes everywhere, usually all over your fingers. I know that from personal experience. So it would have been with a notepad and you know a pencil. Nowadays, we're probably making notes on our phone. Don't start pointing out every problem to the vendor unless you particularly don't like them. Because if you want to buy the property, you probably need them to like you a bit. I know that sounds silly because... We like to think it's all about the figures, but actually it's not. And you want to be building rapport. And one way of losing rapport with a vendor very quickly is to start pointing out all the problems that you can see in their property. So just don't do it. Just make some notes. You obviously refer back to the estate agent when you call the estate agent to make an offer. But at that point, just smile nicely, nod, look interested, tell them what a lovely home it is and leave it at that. But... Again, I'm getting excited. Big butt. If the estate agent is doing the viewing and the vendor is not present, I want to stress, and the vendor is not present, then you can point out the problems. But again, I just do this conversationally. I just say something like, oh, look, oh, look, that looks damp. What do you think? Get them to tell you what they think. Don't say, hey, mate, look, this house is damp. Just say, look, oh, is that damp there? I'm not sure. What do you think, Mr. Estate Agent or Mrs. Estate Agent? Don't do it as an accusation. Like I say, try and make it conversational. You're not there to start an argument. But you can often soften the agent up for later on when you do want to make an offer. In fact, I'd start softening up the estate agent even if there aren't any obvious structural problems. Maybe you just say something like, oh, yeah, it's a nice house, but it's going to need complete redecorating throughout, isn't it? And these carpets, well, they've seen better days, haven't they? Somebody's going to need to replace all of these. 
Oh, and I think the kitchen and the bathrooms are a bit dated, aren't they? What do you think? You must be selling lots of houses. You probably see much better bathrooms and kitchens than these, don't you, Mr or Mrs Estate Agent? Just refer it back to them as conversationally, but just start sowing the seed of what's going to be coming later. Now, although you're going to be doing an inspection, and if you could see me, I'm doing air quotes now, rather than a viewing, don't go in there all gung-ho and like a bull in a china shop and start moving the carpets and the furniture. The only time I would ever move carpets and furniture is when it's totally obvious that the property has been abandoned. Maybe it's like a repossession. And so the, 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 the occupiers, whoever lived there before, is gone. And I would only do it with permission. So if the estate agent's showing me around, for example, I'd say, look, is it OK if I just move this and have a quick look? They're either going to say yes, no, or maybe. If they say yes, job done. If they say no, well, I mean, again, you're not there to cause an argument, but just do what you can. And again, just make a quiet note of everything. Don't make a big fuss about it. Do take pictures on your phone. In the old days, we would have taken a digital camera out with us, but nowadays, you know, with camera phones and all that kind of stuff, we didn't need to do that. Just take pictures on your phone. Why do you want to have pictures on your phone? Well, firstly, to remind you of what you're seeing, because if you're going to go out and do 10 viewings in a day, you're probably going to A, forget what you saw, and B, you're going to forget where you saw it, even if you remember it. So it's useful to take photos. And later, you can then show the photos to your power team, like your electrician, like your plasterer, like your builder, so that when you want to get some estimated costs, and at this stage it's going to be loose because they haven't actually seen the property, they're just looking at photos, but they give you a rough idea maybe of what the cost of doing the works is going to be. So photos are really, really useful. And now that you've been around the property and now you've looked at it perhaps more intelligently and more as a professional investor than just your average owner-occupier, you will be able to get a better idea of what it's going to cost and you'll be able to get a more accurate estimate of the refurb, which will be very, very useful. Now, I realise that a lot of this is a bit chicken and egg. When you start, you want to know a lot, but you probably don't know very much. And so you're going to be thinking, well, Peter, this is all well and good, but I haven't got very much experience. So I don't really know what I'm looking for and I don't know what it is that I'm looking at, even if I see it. And I totally get that. But the more you go out and look at stuff, the more you'll get to understand and learn and be able to piece it all together. So a lot of this just comes by experience. And as I say, it is a bit of chicken and eggy, but it's a bit like a circle. You just got to jump in at some point and get stuck in. And the more you do, the better you'll get at it. But just remember, you're not that good at it. Going back to the first question, should you have a survey? Yes, you're going, to have, you're going to have a survey anyway. You're not just going to rely upon what you see because you might not be seeing everything. I'm absolutely sure you're not going to be seeing everything. Without being gloomy, there's going to be stuff lurking under the floorboards which you haven't even thought of. So you need somebody else to go along and just give it another look for you. But at the first viewing, which we can now do as an inspection, you can learn an awful lot. It'll help you to get an idea of the condition. It'll get, help you to get an idea of the cost but you're still going to get a survey. Now, I'm not even sure whether I should say this, but you know what? I'm going to say it anyway. If you do want a guide which will help you with this kind of stuff, you can go to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk, and I've got a resource on there called 63 Common Defects in Investment Properties and How to Spot Them. And it does exactly what it says on the tin. It takes you through defects in property, shows you how to spot them. And that's on my website. So hopefully, if you want to know a bit more about properties and stuff, just go to my website and pick up that resource. You'll find it very helpful. That's why I wrote it. And also, 
there's experience in abundance in the progressive property community. So somebody who I'm going to give a shout out to is a fellow RICS surveyor, Stuart Hallworth. Find Stuart Hallworth, become his friend, follow him on Facebook, go and find him on the progressive property Facebook group. He's put some fantastic posts out there about uh, construction and about properties. He really knows his stuff and he's a great guy to know as well. So do that. There's a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge there as well. So while we're talking about surveys and reports, let's think about uh, the dreaded mortgage valuation. I've already said that you can't rely upon it, that you need to have a survey. But let's just think about some of the implications of the things that happen with the dreaded mortgage valuation. Why am I say dreaded? Because the thing which we all dread as property investors probably is having a down valuation. So a question which I often get is, Peter, I've had a down valuation. What can I do about it? Well, the first thing to say is that this isn't uncommon. It's really, really annoying when it happens. I totally get that. But it's not uncommon. And if you've ever done Masterclass, you'll know that I say that I do believe in expecting the unexpected. So I don't really understand why we sometimes budget for the unexpected. If we're expecting the unexpected, then surely the unexpected is actually expected. So we're just expecting the expected, if you see what I mean. But we won't go down that rabbit hole. But you know what I mean? If we're expecting something, then we can be prepared for it and we can plan for it in advance. And one of the things which we should always be expecting whenever we're buying a property, whenever we're getting a valuation, is that we're going to expect a down valuation. Now, if it's not a down valuation then brilliant. And if you could see me, you see I'm sticking my thumbs up saying, yeah, job done. But let's always have the suspicion and the expectation that the valuation may come back as a down valuation, because it might. Now, there are things that you can do to influence the valuer. And I don't mean anything unethical, by the way. I'm talking about stuff which is totally ethical, totally legal, totally transparent, and it will give you the best chance of influencing the valuer to come up with the best possible figure. And we talk about that on Masterclass. So if you want to know about that, come on Masterclass. It'd be great to see you there. But there are things that you can do. But what happens if you cannot do that? What happens if you do get the dreaded down valuation? Well, what I'd suggest is that first and foremost, just take a deep breath. It's not personal. Have a bit of a rant in the, in the shower. That will help as well. These things do happen. But what can you do about it? Well, in theory, you can appeal to the lender. Now, the reality is, though, that if you're questioning the valuer's judgment, and we'll think about the alternative to that in a moment, which is just that the valuer has made an honest mistake. But if you're questioning the valuer's judgment, in other words, you're saying that the valuer doesn't know what they're talking about, and the valuer doesn't know how to value property for toffee, which is effectively what you're saying, probably you're not going to get very far. Now, I, I know this. I mean, I'm not, not saying this to be cocky, but I am a surveyor. And so I think I've got a pretty good handle on the properties which I buy and a pretty good handle on the value of the properties that I buy. But I still get down valuations. And I remember the first time when I was buying one of my very first buy-to-let properties and I had a down valuation. Maybe it was a bit cocky of me. I don't know, but I thought I was being helpful. I certainly thought I wasn't going to let the valuer get away with it because the valuer downvalued. I put together a report which I sent through to the lender via my mortgage broker and on it I put enough comparable evidence to show that I was right and the valuer was wrong. And if I showed you that report, you'd say, Peter, clearly you're right. Clearly the valuer was wrong. But do you know what happened? Well, of course, the lender 
isn't going to go with that if it's just questioning the value as judgment. In my experience, maybe you've had different experiences. If you've managed to um, appeal a valuation and they've come back and changed the figure, then again, put a post on the Progressive Property Facebook group because I'd love to hear about that. Tag me in. I want to hear about it. But remember, we're talking about here where we're talking about the value as judgment, not that the value has made a mistake. I think there's a completely different thing. We're going to think about mistakes in a moment. If it's just saying the value is wrong, I don't think you're going to get very far a lot of the time. It's very rare for a valuer to come back and say, do you know what, you're right, I completely messed that up, I put the wrong figure on it. They're probably just not going to do that. And the lenders, for whatever reason, they're going to close shoulders and close ranks with the valuer and they're not going to stitch the valuer up and they're going to support the valuer. So most of the time you're onto a hiding to nothing. But if you think the valuer has made a genuine mistake on a point of fact as opposed to a point of judgment, then you might get a little bit further. So a genuine mistake and a point of fact could be something like maybe they missed a bedroom when they did their inspection, which means that they valued it as a two bed instead of a three bed. Yes, that can happen. I know that sounds crazy, but I've known that to happen. So yes, that can happen. Or maybe it could be something like they even looked at the wrong property if they got the address wrong. Can that happen? Yes, it can happen. I've known that to happen. The value has actually gone off and done the report on the wrong property. Maybe the property next door or maybe the office just gave them the completely the wrong address. It happens. Believe it. You think, well, why would anybody let him in? I don't know why people let people in. But if you turn up at somebody's house with a clipboard and say you're here to look at the property, they might let you in. And that's what happened. So that kind of stuff can happen. And if that happens and it's clearly a mistake, then obviously they're going to rectify the mistake, aren't they? Might be embarrassing for the value, but you're probably going to get away with that. So if you think the value is just wrong, you're probably just going to have to accept it. But if there's some kind of an honest mistake like that, then you can probably get it rectified. What I would do is this. Assuming that it's just uh, that you don't agree with the value's figure, I would talk to your mortgage broker and you will have a mortgage broker, won't you? You're not going to try and organise all your finance on your own, are you? Because that doesn't work. You need a good broker. And you're going to have a word with your broker, and the broker will probably suggest that you go to a different lender. If you go to a different lender and you make a new application, the lender will then appoint a valuer to go out and do their valuation, and hopefully you're going to get a different valuer going to the property. Now, if you're wondering why it wouldn't be a different valuer, don't forget that most lenders do not have in-house surveyors. Some do, but most don't. A lot of lenders have what they call a panel valuer, and the panel valuer is usually a valuer who works locally. They're often they're attached to local estate agencies, or it might be a bespoke firm of valuers, but very often they actually work for local estate agents, and they're on the panel, which means that a lender will get in touch with a valuer in the local area who's on their panel, and they will go out and do the valuation for the lender. So in very rare circumstances, you could be very unlucky and you could go to lender A and get turned down because of the report from the valuer, make a new application with lender B, and then it turns out that lender B actually appoint the very same valuer to come out because that valuer is also on lender B's panel as well as lender A's panel. That can happen. Valuers are usually on the panels of many, many, many lenders. So you never know who's going to turn up. But it's rare. It's unlikely. There are ways and means of filtering who's going to go to the property as well. If you're a little bit on the ball when the office rings up and says, can we make an appointment for Mr. 
I don't know, Mr. Grumpy, and you realise it's Mr. Grumpy, you might be able to say, well, actually, you know, we can't make it that day or it's impossible to get keys for that day. Could we do it another day? And then the, the, the office may say, well, OK, but Mr. Grumpy won't be able to do it. It'll have to be Mr. Happy. And you'll say, oh, that's fine. I, ways and means around it. But generally speaking, if you go to a different lender, you're probably going to get a different valuer. And that might be enough because each valuer is going to have their own opinion. The second valuer may not be as pessimistic as the first valuer. And by that time, maybe if you've learned your lessons, you'll know exactly what to do, particularly if you come on Masterclass, we'll show you how to influence the valuer before they even get there or whilst they're there to give you the best chance of getting the right figure. But that would be what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, right, the down valuation, it means that I'm going to get a new application and then I'll get a new valuer coming out to do the second application or the second valuation on that application. And that can quite often just get you there and that'll be enough. Now, I probably told you this story before. I've done so many of these podcasts now, I can't remember what I've said in every episode. But I can beat having a down valuation. If I've told you this story before, then you can go off and make a cup of tea now. Come back in a couple of minutes when I'm finished. But if you haven't listened to the podcast before, I'm talking to you. This is what happened to me. I can beat having a down valuation. I had a situation once where the value wouldn't even get out of the car to do the valuation. And he turned up and he looked at the properties out of the car window and my managing agent was there to, to meet him, to let him in. And he wound the window down and he said, you've got to be beep joking, haven't you, mate? I'm not even getting out of the car. And my managing agent thought he was joking and laughed and the valuer drove off. And that was that. And he refused to even get out of the car to do a report. He wouldn't even put zero on the properties. He just wouldn't do anything. And I must admit that did annoy me a lot. And I had a good old chunter and rant about that. But what can you do? You know, you, you've got to move on, haven't you? It's no odds to the value if I'm just going to spend the rest of my life being bitter and twisted. There's no point. So I did what I just advised you to do. I went back to my broker. My broker put in a new mortgage application with a different bank. Their bank's valuer turned up. Their bank's valuer actually got out of the car with the clipboard and walked around the property and made some notes. And they came up with a report and they put a valuation figure on the property and they lent me some money. So it slowed the whole thing down by about six to eight weeks, which is immensely frustrating. Going back to previous podcasts, I think I said that, you know, things only happen as quickly as things happen in property. And this is one of those instances where it wasn't happening very quickly. But these things happen. The bumps come along. It's not always going to be plain sailing. And in the end, I got the money. So that was that. So there we are. I hope that's been helpful. Some questions on surveys, some questions on valuations. As ever, great to have you here. If you like this podcast, please do leave a review. That'd be great. If you want to know more about me, then come to uh, thepropertyteacher.co.uk. If you want to know more about my publications, 63 Common Defects in Investment Property, how to spot them, you'll find that there. But there's loads of good free stuff. And, you know, there's my blog as well. So it'd be good to get to know you. Sign up for my newsletter, all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I will see you at an event, hopefully, at Progressive Towers down at HQ sometime soon. Do come up and say hello. We'll do a selfie together if you like. That's always good fun. And until the next podcast, here's to successful property investing. <laughs>